0: The Red Woman in Her Plastic Tower by Bonnie Jo Suffelbeam In the cafe windows on my meandering way from the dock at which I had arrived into this world, versions of me sipped mochas, sipped green teas, sipped strawberry Italian sodas. I'd been on and off caffeine for all of my adult years, which made caffeine the longest relationship I could claim before Jenny. Down by the dock, I played chess against myself. I stopped to watch, but couldn't contribute. It had been years since I knew the game of chess well, since a boyfriend, Luke, pinned me to the floor and whispered checkmate in my ear. After Luke, I didn't play anymore. There are things gained and lost from past love. Chess, a sexual position you can't bear to repeat. New knowledge of human nature. Restaurants you can no longer visit. Cafes. T-shirts names and virginities i lost mine twice as a teenager to a girlfriend i loved like comfort food and the second time to an exotic stranger a man i loved like an adventure those versions of me the ones who smelled for the first time the sunlight of that first girlfriend's skin or the musty stink of the stranger's pubic hair they were here too though i didn't know it at first As I searched for the home I shared with Jenny, I passed the apartment of a boy I wanted to love, but couldn't once upon a time. It had been years since I'd seen the dusty pink brick, one side covered in graffiti that spelled out the name of a woman I'd loved only for a moment. Too much vodka in my veins, my vision blurred and oversensitive to light, making her burn bright as a paper lantern. Where were the versions of me who knew these people? Were they inside, waiting for their lover's return? Pathetic. I knew better. I loved better now. A warm bed love. A mouth closed kiss love. A love of silence and routine and scheduled fucks. Lasting love. The sky overhead was the yellow of sun and jaundice. The air smelled of nostalgic rain, fish, and sweat. Before me, a city of mismatched buildings spread. I placed the different versions of myself in time by their dress, their hairstyles, and their jewelry. Up by the dock, the me who loved Luke wore the ugly black heart necklace he gave me. The other wore a ring on the wrong finger. She was a lonely me, a wreck of me. All of us wore jeans, reminding me how rarely I wore the dresses shoved in the back of my closet. I kept walking until I came to the park I had lived down the street from for three years. An abandoned public pool spanned the far half, a fence around it. In the playground at the park center, I once nearly got caught smoking pot by the cops. Five friends and I huddled in the tube at the top. Would I find myself hiding there? I climbed the slide the wrong way and crouched in the tunnel. Lying atop a tower of elaborate silk blankets was a woman. She did not look like me. Not the first not-me I had seen. Her hair was red silk. Her skin clear porcelain. Her lips round and full and slightly parted, enough to show the slight gap between her front teeth. She wore a blue sundress over wide hips. Her bare feet twitched in her sleep. I cleared my throat, and she stirred like a sleeping child fighting to break once more into the world. When she sat up, her eyes struggled open. Hello, you, she said, her voice of smoke and mirrors. She held out her hand palm up. What have you brought me? I blushed. I didn't know I was supposed to, I said. Sorry, I'll go. I turned. She grabbed me by the shoulder. Wait, you must be new. You can call me Dell." This is my town. Welcome. You're early. For what? I asked. She gestured out the window. From all sides, versions of me made their way toward the park, a mob of myself. They closed in on the tower, and once they had us surrounded, they knelt. A strange chanting rose from below, and Dell took my hand and kissed it, leaving a burn in the shape of her lips. Every day they come for me, I'm put on all their pedestals. My full name? Infidelity. The affair. Lies and sex and tears. It doesn't get better than me. Right, I said. That's how I used to think. She smirked. Your time's up, she said. You may return tomorrow. She let go and beckoned through the window for the next me to join her. I permit you to come early again. In fact, I ask that you do. I nodded. I slid down the slide into the throng of me, their hands filled with strange and beautiful objects, colored glass bottles, strips of fabric, fruits, vegetables, and meats wrapped in wax paper. I couldn't bring her these things. I had nothing to give. I walked away, unsure that I would return to her. The sidewalk went on and on. I followed it until I came to the end. My legs throbbed, but the sun was still dying in the sky and I had found my home. It was just as I had left it. The bed unmade. Three dishes unwashed. It smelled of stale popcorn and rotting flowers. The roses I'd given Jenny brittled in a vase on the dining table. I ran my hands along the canned beans and tomatoes in the cabinet, mine and hers. By my bed were stacked my journal, and Jenny's book, which I had been putting off reading not because I suspected it of being terrible, but because I feared it might reveal that I did not know her as well as I thought I did. Jenny was not there. Had I expected her to be? Other than Dell, I had seen no other than myself. It was a relief to be alone in my home, a feeling that made me sick to my stomach. After all, Jenny was my everything. The next day, I chose one of Jenny's old roses, a gift for the red woman in her plastic tower, because she had asked me to join her, and it would be rude to ignore her request. While waiting for the time when I could go to her, I explored my past. I visited theaters where I had been overwhelmed with inspiration. My high school, which in this world was as tall as any mountain. I walked to the shore and found a stretch of sand I could not recall, but must have come from a childhood trip with family. Each of these places was populated by versions of me, all younger, all consumed with emotion I had let go of, whether soon after or years later. Love and lust and jealousy and loneliness and joy. I had missed these emotions, missed their fire eating me alive. Loving Jenny was gentle and slow, though constant, and sometimes, like a diver, I craved the air. I spoke to none of them, these mirrors, unsure that they could say anything I did not already know. Few interacted with the others. Mostly, they just wandered like ghosts. When the sun shone directly overhead, I walked back to the playground. Again, the woman was sleeping. I touched the bottom of a foot. Again, she woke. When she asked for her gift, I slipped the rose into her hand. As her fingers closed around it, she frowned. You're sure this is a gift, she said. Yes, I said. She placed the rose aside. I searched for yesterday's gifts, but saw nothing. Maybe she had a million roses and wanted no more flowers. Maybe she hated unwrapped presents like Jenny, who thought that the unwrapping was the best part. Is something wrong? I asked. No. She smiled a sad smile. I just thought you might be different. I sat at her feet. I was surprised by the stench. Then who? I said. Then all of them, all the others. The worshippers of infidelity. But I would never. I love Jenny. And yet, she said, you brought me one of her roses. I had never cheated on Jenny. It was one of my proudest accomplishments. For three years I had kept those fantasies inside me, let them escape only in rushed, orgasm breath prayers, alone in my bed, while Jenny was at work. Oh, long-haired busman, we can't. And I had told her of those slips, Which wronged past loves. The stoner boy I let touch me when my first love thought I was sleeping over at a friend's. The two women I'd invited into my bed while Luke was away. But Jenny would be different. I had promised us both that she'd be different, and she was. I will take the rose, Dell said. But I think it best if tomorrow you wait in line with the others. I said nothing, just turned and slid away from her, feet first. But this world was lonely. I was lonely in it. Watching the others line up for her made me sick, how eager they were to follow someone. Had I been that eager? But I knew the answer. Of course I had. The list of lovers I kept on my computer was proof of that. I'd been called promiscuous, and I was. There had never been a shame attached to that word for me. I wanted the experience of new skins, new fingers inside me. But the problem with a title others tack on you is it's difficult to shake free of. All those connotations hanging off it like ribbons. And you begin to act the way people expect you to. You wind up itching always for new. Itching to skip the awkward conversations of stranger to stranger and dive right in. No matter who waits for you at home. No matter if you love someone in a deeper way. But it was different with Jenny. Making this clear to Dell was important. I waited with the others, but brought no tribute. She scowled when she saw me. I just need a friend, I said. I can't go home alone every night, wake alone, spend all day alone. I just can't. Dell shook her head. We won't be friends. You'll want more than that, she said. She crouched, crawled through the tunnel away from me. I followed, and she led me to a platform with no roof and a wheel attached to the wall that did nothing. When she stood, we were the same height. She pointed out at the crowd of me waiting for their audience. This is not what I want, she said. You're lonely, and you've been here only days. I've been alone with this crowd for years. She turned to me. It doesn't matter about Jenny. I know what you want. I want it too, and I'm tired of waiting. I will be your friend, but you must be loyal to me. From thin air, she plucked a huge gold ring, large as a hula hoop. Fine, you were faithful to Jenny, I will give you that. Be faithful to me. She kneeled and held the ring at my feet. I will see you every day for three years. If you can remain faithful, you and the others can go. She leaned against the wheel. It turned at her back, creaking. Home, I said. You can never go home. But if you do not fail me, you can go someplace new. This seemed like a ritual I had been part of before, but I couldn't remember what came next. My stomach turned with the words. Jenny's hips as wide as this woman's, her hair darker, her skin darker, all of her darker. Was she more beautiful? No, just different. Step in, Dell said. Will Jenny be there, I said, in this new place? I cannot say, but she will never be here. I stepped into the ring. Dell stood, lifting the ring with her until she held it at my waist. Promise, she said, my palm sweaty. I said, Promise. The ring shrunk until it fit snugly around my stomach. I couldn't breathe. She turned to the crowd. I have chosen, she said. This one will be mine. Let's see if she will be your champion. The crowd dropped their gifts. Their silence was unsettled amidst the shatter of breaking bottles and statues meant to win a woman's favor. One by one they turned and walked away. That night I couldn't sleep. The ring around my middle itched, and every position, on my side, my stomach, my back, made the ring bite into my skin. And though I had figured out how to breathe around it, the shallow breaths made me brain dizzy. When at last the sun peeked through the window, I bolted from bed and into the shower, but the hot water warmed the gold too hot. From the other room came a knock at the door. Dell glided into my house as though she had memorized the floor plan. She asked for breakfast. I cooked us pancakes. Every item I took from the fridge replenished itself once the door closed. In this way, I realized I would never taste anything I had not already tasted. I knew that Dell too, would taste familiar. She handled the fork and toast and jam just as I did, daintily, as though breakfast were meant to be consumed, piece by tiny piece. Later, when she kissed me, she tasted of blueberries and maple syrup. We will be more than friends, she said. Let me see your ring. I stripped. She did, too. Her naked body was a force. Muscular thighs and veins that made designs under her see-through skin. Dark hairs leading a trail between her legs I couldn't help but follow. She kept her fingers hooked into the ring, moving me where and when she pleased. Complete control. Afterwards, she pulled me into her arms. I tried to pretend that she was Jenny, but she was not. I couldn't let myself be a liar on top of a cheat. It was like this for months. A routine Dell swept us into. I grew used to the ring. I grew used to forgetting for brief moments the shape of Jenny's face. One day I didn't think of her until night fell. Another day I stumbled over her name when speaking it. That's right, Dell said. What would your Jenny say to this? And she disappeared between my legs. After a year of living among but avoiding myself on the streets, I grew curious. I had only spoken to myself in small doses, frightened that too much would prove cringe-inducing. But then I saw a younger me, a first year of college me, by a campus fountain misplaced in the middle of a park I visited in France. She sat with her bare feet submerged in murky water. I stopped and looked over her. She was thicker in the face, thicker around the thighs, more full of life. Back then I used to spout the word love like a mantra before my skin hardened, before I realized not everyone deserves to be loved. The routine was tedious, and Dell had asked me to go out on my own for a walk, a pleasure she allowed me once or twice a week when I became irritable. Because I needed a dose of optimism, I stopped to talk to me. "'Aren't you scared of staff? That water is awful,' I said. "'No,' she said. "'I'm not scared of much.' "'I wish that would be true forever.' that's what you always say, you older ones. I sat beside her. The water shimmered in the strange light, and I wanted to be me again. I took off my shoes and slipped my feet into the water. It was cold and unforgiving. I winced. How do you stand this? Water's freezing, I said. It's not, she said. Not unless you expect it to be. I dreamt about her, about me, slipping the ring over my head. I could breathe again. When Dell touched me, her hand burned a print on my thigh. Mine, she whispered. But I wasn't. I couldn't be. She was beautiful and bold, but familiar, like a sister. Jenny had been familiar, too, but that familiarity came with time. Dell had been under my skin that first time I saw her. The other versions of me began to look new next to her, next to her hair the color of the red clay in the lake mud back home. I hadn't found that lake mud here, not yet. Too many other places to see in not enough time. But I remembered the clay in my hand, squeezing out through my fingers. I thought of it as I squeezed Dell's thigh. It was the only way I could convince myself that I wasn't deceiving Jenny's memory. I saw the young me again. It seemed that she too had a routine. We spoke often. She remembered a me who loved more. I knew a me who loved deeply, a one and only love. That's sad, she said, that you won't ever feel those first consuming feelings again, that you'll never touch another. But it's more than that, I said. I wanted to explain how it was different, but I couldn't find the words. She wouldn't understand. I didn't tell her about Dell. She would call me a hypocrite. She had a right to. I was that, and more. So I kissed her instead. I wanted to confuse her and myself and the world we were part of. She tasted like my mouth, and when I ran my hand across her lips, I felt it in my body. It fascinated me, this mirror. When she grabbed my hand and pulled me to a nearby alley, where once, drunk, sick, and heartbroken, both of us had witnessed two cats wailing love cries one rainy evening, I didn't protest. I pushed her up against the brick wall and loved her like the smell of gasoline— "'intoxicating and dangerous and strangely sweet. "'Inside, she was as bitter as I was. "'I didn't tell her this. "'Over the next month, she came again and again in that alley, "'in my bedroom at night when Dell left to go wherever she went, "'to feel and be felt simultaneously, intoxicating. "'I wanted more and more of it. "'I thought of Jenny very little. "'I thought nothing of Dell when she was not there. "'But the ring, it seemed, was permanent.' "'What's this?' the other me asked one night in my bed beside me. She wedged a finger in the crease and tugged. It stung for her to touch under there, like bull nettle. I wondered what had happened to that skin. "'I don't know,' I said. It wasn't quite a lie. "'Does it hurt?' "'Yes,' I said. "'Of course it does.' "'I told you,' she said. "'Commitment's a bitch.' We slept in each other's arms, breathing the same breath back to one another." But in the morning when I opened my eyes, her blonde hair had gone red in the night, and her skin had gone light too, and her lips. I slept not beside a copy of myself, but beside Dell. Her breaths left her open mouth in shallow gasps. I didn't dare move. Finally, her eyes fluttered open. You thought I wouldn't know, she said. But I know you better than anyone, even Jenny. Who are you, really, I said. What is everyone here? I'm you, but you're not. I broke free of her, scooted against the wall. You look nothing like me. Yet, even as I said it, I knew it wasn't true, because the differences between the woman in my arms last night, the woman in the mirror, and this woman now were slight, as though tricks of some light. Looking at her made my head ache, so I looked away. You made me look this way. There's only so much adoration a person can take, so much longing before it changes them. Eventually, a label will make its mark on you. I look this way because you wanted it so bad. Someone to hurt. It's who you are, no matter whose ring you wear around your finger. And I remembered. A phantom itch on my finger. There had been a ring, hadn't there? Jenny had slipped it on to my finger as we sat in the shadows of a willow. We'd been boating. Will you? She asked. And I'd known right then that I was no longer the person I once was that I no longer loved her. I can't, I said. And even then, it was as though I was watching someone else say it, watching a stranger place the ring back into her palm. The itch for newness was too great to keep a ring around my finger. Rings meant something I wasn't ready for. And then I was on the outside, looking at two lovers on a boat, their stomachs twisting with sick clarity, their mouths dry with the knowledge that they would never be as they were. Those feelings of no longer loving her had disappeared like a bad dream. And I wanted to hold Jenny in my arms and breathe into her body, but I couldn't speak. Take me home, the other me was telling Jenny, we're finished. And I was moving away on my boat, a ghost in the world of the living. The other me had expelled me in a moment of weakness. I wanted to dive back into the water and shove myself down my throat, but I was already forgetting— a fog coming down, and I knew only that I loved someone. Though not as well as I had hoped, the other versions of me were right. On the boat, by the fountain, they knew. I worshipped a goddess of another name. It had been over a year, and I had not touched Jenny's book. I lifted Infidelity's hand to my mouth and kissed it. I'm sorry, I said. The ring around my middle loosened. I could breathe again. I gulped air. I slid the ring down over my legs and held it out to her. A gift, I said. I failed you. You always do, she said. She took the ring. She left without another word. I let her go. When she was out the door, I chucked Jenny's book in the trash. I wondered if, like the food in my fridge, it would return to me. It didn't. Now I go with the others to see her. Every night I'm there with a new gift, hoping she will recognize it. We all hope she will give us another chance, make of us a champion. But she never acknowledges us in any way other than a quick hello, a peck on the cheek, a thank you for the gift. I keep trying. There is nothing left to do but try. Because my body itches for a freedom I was promised if i only remained faithful so faithful i will be
1: you've just listened to the red woman in her plastic tower by bonnie jo stuffelbeam this story was read to you by liz sinden piper bonnie jo stuffelbeam is the author of the short story collection where you linger and other stories and the novella glorious fiends her fiction has appeared in over 90 publications such as LeVar Burton Reads and Popular Science, as well as in Six Languages. By night, she has been a finalist for the Nebula Award. By day, she works as a narrative designer for mobile games. She lives in Texas with her partner and a mysterious number of cats. Liz Sindenpifer is a graduate of the North Carolina State University MFA program. After a stint in the advertising world and a wonderful few years teaching literature to 8th graders, she now works at home on her novel and short stories, but mostly on raising her three young sons, one, then twins. When not rearing her boys or writing, she loves cooking, baking, hiking, sleeping, and using the restroom without an audience. To find out more about Many Worlds, check us out at manyworldsforum.com. Thank you for listening to Many Worlds. Worlds.